The following podcast is intended for adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The Iron Realm Chapter 42 The Priestess of Sylvanus The rage of the king had been visited upon Maruk without mercy, and afterwards he had been left on the dungeon floor to die. Celeste did not know what would become of her now, for she was not the elf girl that the king had wanted. In disgust, the Goblin King had left the room, and perhaps now she was going to die too, now that her keeper had been eliminated. She was alone with his corpse in the room, and she panted in the cold air, and she strained against her binds. The key on the floor, it was too far away, and the coins, they were everywhere. It probably wouldn't be long before some other goblin came in tempted by curiosity or by the lure of gold. But what would they do to her? With Maruk dead now, they might be bolder. The very thought of what might happen caused her heart to begin beating rapidly again as she strained against her binds experimentally, trying to see if they could in any way give. But they were as strong as before, she swayed on them, defeated, exhausted. Celeste took a long breath and then bowed her head low and fell silent in prayer. Sylvanas, Lord of the Wood, come upon me in my hour of need. Deliver upon me your strength, all your wisdom, her fear your and dread, by the power all of the her anxiety, and all her desperation, she turned over to the lord of the forest, her god, Sylvanus, huge and strong, powerful, but kind, his domain was that of the wood and by the power of the, the garden. Stand with me always. All her trust she in placed in him. And in the Celeste felt his muscled form come upon her, and then even this place of terror became a holy place when she was touched by his presence. What do you wish, my child? came his voice and she thought about her daughters, and she prayed that she could see them again. As she held this intention at her center, she felt an energy growing there, a warmth, and she could feel his presence radiating through her body, up into her chest and arms, down through her thighs, her legs. What you have wished for will be, Sylvanas said, and suddenly Celeste experienced a clarity, and she looked down to see that Maruk was not dead, though he was nearly so. The 
goblin was in a heap, and his outstretched hand had fallen close to her, and though he was bleeding badly, she could hear him still breathing, and she knew what she had to do. Celeste strained as far as she could against the chains. Though they cut her wrists, and though the rusted manacles hurt her badly, bled her. She let go of the pain, and she let go of the sensations of her body as she stretched yet farther. She could feel the tears streaming down her face, and her hands were being viciously shredded in their cuffs, but she breathed as deep as she could, and let it be. She breathed deep, her body wet with perspiration, and she breathed again, harder, and she reached out her left foot. It was only an inch away from her captor, and she was getting closer. The pain was shooting through her hands and her arms, and there was a piercing sensation through her armpits and her shoulders and her chest, but she dismissed it. She allowed the grace of Sylvanas to fill her up, and she thought of freedom, and she thought of her daughters, and she allowed herself to experience their faces again, and she knew she could get back there, somehow, and that this creature, this terrible creature who had imprisoned her, would also, through the will of Sylvanas, be the instrument of her deliverance. Her toe touched his finger. It only barely touched him, but that had been enough. Celeste gasped and allowed herself to fall backward against the wall, indulging for a moment in the release that crying brings, throbbing inside, raw and wet in the dark, with nothing anymore to give. As her daughter's plan for her release, the priestess seeks escape through the divine grace of her god. Yet whether her escape can succeed is yet to be seen. Stay tuned, traveler. More of the story unfolds before your ears on tonight's Iron Iron Realm, copyright A.V. Lenzo, is the world's first play-by-podcast RPG campaign. The voice of Celeste in tonight's dramatization was drawn from audio originally created by and offered by Ashley Eddy through freesound.org under the Creative Commons Attribution License. Further information can be found at theironrealm.com or at theironrealm.blogspot.com.
under this episode's show notes. My sincere thanks as well to you, Ashley, for your masterful contribution to the Iron Realm cause. Tribal Matters It is 10 p.m. on the 17th day of Primaris. The group is on Maze Level Alpha 1 in the Kobold Barracks 4127, 43, 31. They have had this day sufficient food and water. Although two of the Yuname, struck by the malady, have slipped in to the last deadly stage of the disease. The wounded of the group are as follows. Paola, 7 out of 8. Nora, 8 out of 9. Twyla, 5 out of 6. Whilst the spells memorized are as follows. Treya, Aura Against Evil. Kailana, Invisible Shield. Amazar, Door Denial. Orson, Invisible Shield. The group is poised to conduct the usual watches for the night, and they perform the five watches in a manner similar to the night before. Let's see if they get through the night. At 4 a.m. on the 18th day, as Lilena and Orson are about to change the guard with Amazar and Bardar, a result from the chart is indicated. There is a chittering heard from beyond the northern door. No attempt is made on the door, but whatever the presence is, there are many of them, and the sounds go on for hours. I'm going to give Orson a rule versus wisdom to see if he can determine what creature they are faced with. Versus a nine. Oh. A nat twenty. I'm going to give Lelena a rule as well. Versus her thirteen wisdom. An eight. Lelena is sure she's heard this sound before and identifies the commotion as giant ferrets. Very quick. Very dangerous, but unlikely to be able to make it through the door. Lilena and Orson, though somewhat unsettled at the creatures near at hand, do take their rest as the wizard and the halfling take their watch. One more roll until morning. All rise as Temek and Kailana finish their watch, whilst Iona and Paola who did Goblin Watch all night, settle for eight hours as Stockholm and Solus take over their duties. Those wizards amongst their number have already memorized spells and so instead take the time to carefully memorize every detail of the Cobalt Barracks. Meanwhile, Len and Tamek who serves as her eyes go to care for Nim, who is slowly recovering. And they also go to Nora and Twyla, who are stone silent, and now even deeper 
into the grasp of the malady. Each of them now gets a new save for death by disease. Nora requires a 12, a 10. Nora suffers an additional two life points as she slips further away. Twyla's roll, a three. Twyla has lost three points due to the malady. So pale. She looks so pale. Nim and Temek and Len fight to pull them back from the brink, giving them water and feeding them by mouth and doing all they can to keep the fever down. The goblins are given water as well, the last of the group's extra water and the last of the group's extra rations are likewise expended. These goblins are tapping our reserves, says Stockholm. Our group is reasonably recovered, and it's time to set this plan into motion. It's time to free one of these goblins and make plans for our hostage exchange. But Nora and Twyla, says Solus, they're certainly not ready for the fight. We plan to meet with the goblins in three days, says Stockholm. Judging from what I've seen of this malady, by then they'll either be recovered or they'll be dead. Solus lowers his head in understanding, while Stockholm gives the plan in Goblin to the strongest looking amongst the four. In three days' time we meet at the Moss Lichen Room, says Stockholm, and we'll bring the three goblins that we plan to trade. In return, we get Celeste, and I told the goblin, no tricks. Let us hope, says Amazon, that the savages comply. I'm sure they won't, says Stockholm, but when we go, we go in force, and if we play our hand well, we might yet get the Unime's mother out alive. Stockholm recruits Solus, Bardar, Orson, and Kana, who dress themselves in their full armor and gear. They are going to go out the northern door, back into level Alpha 1 proper, where they plan to march the goblin out a ways into the maze, before removing his blindfold and his binds. This way they hope the goblins may never discover the secret room that they now occupy. Barter takes out the spikes and they march. Orson is given charge temporarily of the magic sword, having been instructed upon its use. In an emergency, Orson, positioned in the back, may use its power to support the rest of the group. Stockholm decides to release the goblin at the crossroads at position 38, 22. It's going to take three rolls to get there and two to come back. Starting at 10 a.m., just as the group reaches the crossroad, a roaming creature is indicated close to 11 o'clock a.m. And by wild coincidence, the creatures coming are 
goblins. The dice show that they are tracking in from the east. And I'm going to give Orson a roll to hear them coming. They are around the corner and 80 feet away. Let's have the roll. With a one, Orson is successful and tells the rest of the group immediately. Orson casts his spell, Invisible Shield, and the shimmering glow of force surrounds him before fading. Meanwhile, Kana gets a torch lit, whilst Stockholm and Solus position themselves toward the eastern tunnel, threatening the goblin hostage with their weapons. When the goblins arrive, it is seen that there are three in all. They are shocked and then angered to see one of their own being held by the dwarf and the human. Listen, says Solas, we need to talk. Don't come any closer. I'm warning you. Even so, the words of Solus seem only to antagonize them further, and as the hostage begins to growl through his gag, the other three advance dangerously, wielding their sharp blades with their evil eyes and teeth glowing in the torchlight. Maze Master's wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. If you're running for a group, always remember that if your players are having fun, your game is likely to continue for a long time. In the group setting, randomly generated adventures are rare, and so it is likely that you've put together some themes and some encounters ahead of time. When doing so, make sure to take into account the players in your group. Give your thieves chances to hide. Include some rewards or clues for those able to see in the dark. Place riddles for mages, religious tests for your clerics, and tactical opportunities for your fighters to exploit. And if your players have given you their backstories, then draw elements from these as you construct the greater theme of your adventure. After all, players are more likely to give you their buy-in if they feel that the adventure pertains to them directly. And if you as the Maze Master want to maintain interest, isn't it best to take every advantage that you can get? Never invent an NPC when there already exists an analog in one of the player's backstories. Indeed, you can even brainstorm portions of the adventure with your players as applicable. The way the final details are used will be up to you as the Maze Master. But by making use of the threads and clues that your players give you, the adventure will be more memorable for you and more memorable for them. And it may just have them clamoring and coming back for more.
And when your players are engaged, when they see their own fantasies coming to life before their eyes, I guarantee they'll be begging you for more. Now that's good gaming. Custom design your game to the needs of your players. You won't regret it. If you have not yet done so, visit the Iron Realm website at theironrealm.com or theironrealm.blogspot.com and subscribe to the RSS feed and join you as well as a follower of the blog. Never miss a single offering from the realm again. And have you gotten your hands on Voices in the Void, a periodic newsletter for the Iron Realm podcast? Get the commentary and news on current and upcoming episodes from the realm. I'll see you there. Stockholm and Solas are fortunate to have run into the goblins at the crossroads, since, given the choice of four directions, it is obvious to no one from whence they came. The three goblins who have arrived look as if they're ready to attack, and even though Solus's group is heavily armored and well-armed, these goblins have been angered and enraged at the sight of one of their own tied and gagged. Stop, says Stockholm, shouting to them in their own language. We have your man, and we're ready to return him to you, but only if you put your weapons down. The goblins look suspiciously amongst themselves, and the dwarf further adds, We've got three more of your men as well, in safekeeping. Kill us, and not only does this hostage die, but also you'll never find out the location of the other three. Stockholm is taking a minus one to the reaction check, since Stockholm is not of their race. And normally, goblins always attack dwarves on sight. Though, in consideration of the hostage and the words the dwarf has said, I'm going to allow a straight reaction roll under this circumstance. Some penalties for their hatred, some bonuses for the dwarfs. Upper hand. The roll. A ten is a very good roll. How do we know what you said is true, dwarf? Says the first amongst the goblins. Ask your brother for yourself, says Stockholm. He removes the gag from the captive goblin, who immediately confirms that indeed three others of his number are being held by Stockholm and Solus. 
The goblins murmur amongst themselves. And now, a second roll. A seven is enough. And the goblins slowly lower their weapons. You're smart lads, says Stockholm. Now take your man back to your king and tell him we have a trade to make. We want the human woman back. With enmity in their eyes, the goblins slowly retreat back down the eastern tunnel. Well, that was convenient, says Stockholm. In any event, it's time we got back. Come on. Two further roaming creatures checks required to get back to the kobold barracks. And they've almost made it too. When, at 42-26, a group of hobgoblins is tailing them from behind. Let's see if Orson notices. With a three, he does not. Their torch is still lit, and perhaps the light is drawing them. The dice show that there are two hobgoblins in all, and they lumber in behind the group. It looks like Orson's invisible shield is still active when they catch up with him and Kana from behind. So, shouts one of the hobgoblins, what do we have here? Orson spins around in surprise as Kana holds the light up against the huge goblinoid's face. Well, 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 says Orson as the hobgoblin growls. Making plans with our rival tribe, are you? says the biggest hobgoblin. We doesn't take kindly to that. Ah, uh, no, 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 says Orson. You've got it all wrong. They've captured one of our females. And to tell you the truth, we would love a chance to get back at them, if you know what I mean. With a masterful sleight of hand, Orson produces and flips a gold coin into the air, presenting it with a bit of flourish to the first hobgoblin. There's more where this came from, says Orson, and we wouldn't mind a little bit of help with our small mission. This is somewhat of a risky move on Orson's part, but he does address the hobgoblins in their own language, and the promise of gold should further cancel the usual penalty that he would suffer. This will be a straight reaction check. Orson does have a penalty to charisma, however, so even with the promise of gold, the check will be at a minus one. The roll. An 11 dropped to a 10 is not a bad roll. <laughs> says the head hobgoblin, pocketing the coin. Wouldn't mind to put paid to those goblin scum. If you've got any more coin, maybe we'll think about it. Solus passes to the front a pouch containing 20 copper coins, whilst Stockholm presents an offering from his sack, two sets of hide armor, and a spear. Well, what about this then? Take this as a sign of our goodwill. And, says Orson, as Stockholm whispers something in his ear, my dwarvish friend has a fine crown. And it's all yours, if you can bring some of your boys to help us with the goblins in three days. I'm going to say this offering is even better, so not only am I going to erase Orson's penalty, but I'm going to give him a plus one on this next roll. This one should decide it. A twelve. Phenomenal. 
The hobgoblins greedily take the gear that has been offered. You've got yourself a deal, says the hobgoblin. Three days, huh? Just tell us when and where. Fifteen level points to the level point pool for the goblins, and a further thirty for the hobgoblins. As the hobgoblins depart into the maze, it seems the group has just bought themselves an ace up the sleeve. They return quickly to share the news with the others at the Cobalt Barracks. And yet, can the hobgoblins be fully trusted? You have been listening to The Iron Realm. If you would like to show your appreciation and to support new episodes of The Iron Realm, visit patreon.com slash theironrealm and be you rewarded. You can also give a gift at drivethroughrpg.com using pay what you want, or by taking a share of premium soft cover books, ebooks, and gaming aids for your Iron Realm collection. And don't forget to leave your five star reviews at iTunes at drivethroughrpg.com and beyond. Finally, tell your friends and spread the word about the world's first play-by-podcast RPG audio drama. Do what you can to ensure the continuance of the realm. Your fellow travelers and your maze master, thank you. From the eternal depths of the Iron Realm. Will the result of this bargain be betrayal most foul? Tune in next time to the Iron Realm, the first play-by-podcast RPG in the world. And remember, play hard or go home! Iron Realm! Iron Realm! Three days, travelers. The ultimate confrontation in three days.